right, listeners, and welcome to this week's show. My name is Connor McQuibby. I am your host. Today's episode is a little bit different. For the first time on the show, I don't have a guest, just me. We're going to do a question and answer show. I posted on social media asking for folks to send in questions. So today I'm going to be answering some questions from listeners, talking about the podcast, a little about myself, some recommendations for things to do in Reno, just kind of a freewheeling chatting kind of show. Should be very different. I'm a little nervous about it, having to fill all of the time myself, but I'm sure it'll be great. Let's jump right into it. The first question I have is from Haley from Instagram. She asked me, what brought you to Reno? So this is a good opportunity for me to give just some background on where I'm from and where I've lived. I was born and raised here in Reno. I lived here, grew up, and never really liked Reno that much. Like I think a lot of people, I didn't like my hometown. I wanted to get away. I wanted to move. There's this idea when you grow up that you move on to bigger, better things, and it's exciting. I always wanted to be a grown-up. I like the idea of moving away from home and being on my own and being independent. I've had a job since I was about 14 years old. So the idea of moving away was really exciting to me. So I moved away when I went to college. I went to Las Vegas. I went to UNLV, ended up living in Vegas for about nine years, and then moved to Portland, Oregon, and lived in Portland for a few years, and then to the Bay Area. But then I moved back to Reno. And the question, I guess, was, why did you move to Reno or what brought you to Reno? And I guess I can answer it as what brought me back to Reno. And I think what that was, was a combination of factors. So I was living in the Bay area out of a long-term relationship, working a job that paid really well, but that I didn't really like very much spending way too much money on everything from rent to food to just all of the cost of living in the Bay area was so expensive and I was sick of it. So after working at that job for a couple of years, I couldn't handle it anymore. I wanted to do something different and I just quit. I had enough in savings to last a little while. I booked a trip to Mexico for a month and I had never traveled alone before. And the idea was that I would travel this trip in Mexico for a month or so. This was in the winter, I think November-ish probably. And then I would come back at the beginning of the new year and either find a new job in the Bay Area or figure it out. And while I was in Mexico, I was talking to my sister here in Reno and she said, why don't you just come home? You know, your family's here. You have a place to stay. You can find a job in Reno. You can make friends in Reno. Most of my friends in the Bay Area ended up being more friends with my ex, and I lost touch with some of them. So I didn't really feel like I had a whole lot in Oakland anymore, and it was a great opportunity for me to come back to Reno. It had changed so much. There was so much new, exciting stuff here in town, and I just thought it was time to come back and be close to my family and close to my hometown and build a new connection with the city as an adult rather than as a, you know, teenager trying to get away from it. So thanks for that question, Haley. I really appreciate being able to share a little bit about why I have such a connection to Reno. 
I got a question from Damon. Damon said, how do you decide who to interview? Which I think is a really good question because this podcast doesn't have a really strict or particular set of topics. It's very broad and I'm trying to do that on purpose. The format's the same. I like this long form hour long interview, but I try to have a wide variety of guests. I don't want to just talk to political figures, for example, or news worthy individuals, whatever is happening this week. I don't want the show to be wrapped up in current events. I want to cover some of those things. Sure. But I'm not a journalist. I'm not a reporter. There's an entire world of professional reporting that I don't know anything about. I never studied journalism. You know, I read the news. I have a general idea about how it all works, but there are people way more qualified than me to be covering the most serious topics. I still want to have some of those conversations. I feel like a handful of my guests, or maybe even most of my guests, have had a lot to say about serious issues, some political, some social, but I want to leave the real important newsworthy stuff to people who are a little more qualified for it. So how do I decide who to interview? I really just try to have a wide variety. I want to talk to people who are doing something important, whatever that may be. So I want to talk to elected political figures and maybe talk to them about some of the things that they're doing, but also just learn more about them. I think part of the challenge of living in a city where there's a lot going on and hearing names thrown around here and there and hearing people on the news, you get the idea that you know somebody, even if you've never really talked to them. And I see this in comment sections and people complaining about elected officials or people, a lot of people have opinions on the internet. And I want to actually have a conversation with someone before I come to any kind of opinion or before I assume that I know what someone is all about. So yeah, anyone who is doing something that I'm interested in, a big part of it is my own curiosity as well. There are definitely people who would probably make great podcast guests in general who are doing things that are really cool, but some of them I don't have a natural curiosity towards. For example, sports. I'm not a sports person at all. But I think that there are probably listeners who would really like to have a conversation about the aces of the ballpark or even UNR sports. I know nothing about UNR sports program, but I know that, you know, there's a lot of local fans who might be interested. So having my own natural curiosity and interest, I think really guides who I try to book on the show. And the other thing is just who is fun to talk to for an hour, who can have a good conversation with me that I have a lot of questions for, for an hour long conversation, because sometimes there's not that much to talk about. That's part of the reason that I don't do a lot of business person kind of profiles and talking to business people is because as much as I do want to know about all these different businesses in town, sometimes I run out of questions after, you know, who are you? What's your business? Why is it cool? How did you come up with the idea? That being said, I'm always trying to figure out who to have as guests for the future. I feel like I've met so many people through doing this podcast and having conversations about who should be on the show. It's really expanded my my connection to the people in this town, but I'm 
always looking for more episode ideas, for more guests. If I'm doing an episode a week, as I have been doing so far, really, I'm always going to need a constant supply of potential guests. So if you know anyone who you think would be a good guest, or if you have a topic that you think is really interesting, shoot me a message. Send me an email, connor at renoites.com, C-O-N-O-R. I would love to get some ideas about episodes to do. Like I said, the show is pretty flexible in terms of the things that I want to cover and talk about. So who knows? You might have a great idea that I would be really curious about and a great guest. So hit me up. Let me know who those people might be. I got a question from Yarn Girl. I don't know Yarn Girl's actual name, but I follow her on all the social media. If you do not follow Yarn Girl, please do. It's Yarn Girl with a U, G-U-R-L on Instagram. And she's such a cool artist. So you may have seen her work around town. She does a lot of this like yarn bombing where you'll see a signpost or uh, all around town, you know, yarn art that is applied in public places. And it's really cool to see. Anyways, tons of cool stuff and really glad that she's following me. Hi. (laughs) So Yarn Girl asked, favorite way to spend time outside? And that's a great one, especially since we're coming into summer. I love the outdoors. I'm very, very big about being outside as much as possible. And it's kind of shifted over the years about how I like to spend that time outside. When I first moved home to Reno, I went up to Lake Tahoe all the time. All the time. I spent the entire summer, basically, of 2017 up at the lake. Because growing up here in Reno, we didn't really go up to the lake that much. And when I moved home, I realized we have this absolute treasure in Lake Tahoe, just an hour away. So I moved home, and I would just go up to Lake Tahoe all the time. I started hosting Couch Surfers. So Couch Surfing is a website where people can sign up to host people who are traveling. There's no money; it's no money exchanged. It's just to help someone out. And if you're traveling, you can request to stay with hosts if they have a spare bedroom or couch or whatever kind of sleeping situation. So I started hosting these couch surfers, people who were traveling from all over the world. I met so many awesome people. And sometimes there would be people who were coming through Reno who weren't planning on going up to Lake Tahoe. They were on their way from like Yosemite National Park to one of the parks in Utah or Colorado. And Reno was just kind of a stop off point for a day or so. And I would ask them, oh, are you going up to Lake Tahoe? And they say, oh, no, I'm only here for a day. And I would say, oh, well, cool. That's enough time. Let's let's go. I hope you brought a swimsuit. And I'd bring people up to the lake. So that summer, I brought so many people up to Lake Tahoe, and I spent the entire time up there. In recent years, I haven't gone up to Lake Tahoe as much, and I think part of that is just, I don't know the reason, laziness maybe, But I ended up doing a lot of walking. So last year, I was walking all of the time. And it was one of my ways of getting away from social media and from the computer and from my phone. And I struggle a lot with internet and social media addictive tendencies. And taking a long walk was the best way for me to really shift away from being stuck on the couch and being stuck indoors and just feeling stuck in general. When you move your body, walking on a long walk, I'd usually walk six, seven, eight miles. I think I did a, I did a half marathon one day just to see if I could. I did a 13 mile day, not all at once. I took a break. I went to visit my mom 
but it was pretty much an entire day of walking around town and got 13 miles in. That is always so helpful for me mentally and physically. It's good exercise. So walking around town and just enjoying the sun and getting away from the kind of stagnant feeling of staying in one place. And the other thing that I like to do outside is hang out in the parks. I live right near Idlewild Park. I live very close to the McKinley Arts Center. So very often you might see me hanging out in my hammock by the side of the river near the McKinley Arts Center. And you might see me on a blanket in Idlewild Park, um, reading a book, whatever. So trying to just get outside and enjoy the parks and get some sun and fresh air. I think that we live in a really beautiful place and it's great to take advantage of the parks and the you know, natural environment here. So thanks for that question. I have a question here from my friend Angel. Hi, Angel. He says, what are the things that people from California do in Reno that annoy the crap out of you? I'm going to say nothing that I know of because I don't feel like I have encountered a lot of these bad Californians that I keep hearing about. I don't know that I've met that many recent transplants to Reno. Most of the people that I know here have lived here for a really long time. And I haven't been very social in the last year, obviously, because of COVID. So I feel like I haven't met that many people in general, aside from around the podcast stuff. But yeah, most of the people I know are from Reno. I think the idea that Californians are bad or worse than people from Reno is kind of flawed. I think people are pretty similar wherever they're from. The thing that I'm unhappy about with Californians that annoys the crap out of me is that they're coming here with so much money and buying up all of this property and driving up the cost of our housing. I don't know what the solution is for that. I did an episode about housing with Mike Van Houten from Downtown Makeover last week, and we talked a little bit about it, but I can't blame individuals personally for that. If I lived in California and I had a house that all of a sudden was worth a couple million dollars and then the city was going to crap and everything was getting too expensive and I could cash out and move to a city like Reno and buy a house for cash, heck, I would do it. You know, I can't hold that against the Californian. So uh, altogether, there's some damaging effects there, but I don't hold it against any individuals. People complain about driving. I think everyone drives like crap. I don't know. I love the Californians. Welcome to Reno. I hope that you're supporting our local businesses when you move out here. Even if you live out in the suburbs, coming to downtown and actually spend some money downtown would be cool. But yeah, yay Californians. Welcome to Reno. Be good. Here's a question from my friend Derek. Derek says, since you survey so many different topics, how do you go about researching for each episode? And this is where I need to confess a little bit. When I first had the idea for a podcast, part of it was inspired because I was watching a lot of interviews online. I just like interviews and conversations, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. And one of my favorite interview shows is called Hot Ones. And if you have not seen it, I highly, highly recommend it. The concept of Hot Ones is the host, Sean Evans, who's a fantastic interviewer, asks his celebrity guests 10 questions, and with each question, they each eat a hot wing with a sauce that gets progressively hotter with each wing. So by the end of the episode, the guests are usually 
sweating and crying and just have a hard time even getting a word out. And it's fantastic because you get to see these celebrities who you're used to seeing so composed and so professional, just so vulnerable in a weird way that you never would expect. So uncomfortable. And it's really a great twist. But the thing that I loved about it is that it's deeply researched and Sean is an incredible interviewer. So it helps that he has help to do that. I'm doing this podcast on my own, but asks a lot of deep questions about, you know, stories from years ago or things they saw on a movie or they do all the deep research. And when I started this podcast, I thought that'll be great. I'll have these guests and it'll be a great opportunity to research as much as I can about all the things that they're doing. But then in reality, I'm also a procrastinator and I also bite off more than I can chew sometimes and schedule myself too busy. And in reality, I come into most of the interviews not having researched that much. I like to know a little bit about what my guests do, obviously. And a lot of the people that I've interviewed, I know already. So that helps. But I haven't done a lot of deep research. And part of the reason for that is that I think it's fine to have just a natural conversation like you would with a stranger. When you meet someone interesting at a party and have a conversation with them, you don't need to do a bunch of research beforehand to have a good conversation. If you have good conversational chemistry with someone, if you're curious about a topic, I think that a conversation can just kind of happen without a lot of the deep background research. Obviously, this is going to vary guest to guest. If I'm having episodes in the future which are more oriented around specific topics or that I need to have some background knowledge on, of course, I'm going to do a lot more research, but that's going to vary episode to episode in general. Most of the episodes I've gone in without that much research, and I feel like it has still led to pretty good and engaging conversations, and my natural curiosity, I think, leads me to to follow up on the stuff that I just find most interesting, which hopefully listeners find most interesting also. Ooh, this next question is a, a technical one. I got a message from Three Girls, One Show, which is another local podcast. They asked, what do you use to edit and record? This is a good opportunity to talk about the technical pieces of making the podcast because coming into creating this podcast, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not particularly tech savvy. I don't know that much about audio engineering or gear or any of those things. All I knew is that I wanted to do audio interviews that sound noticeably better than a recorded Zoom meeting, for example. So what was the best way to do that? And I started in the middle of the pandemic, obviously. So remote. So how do I record remote that makes it sound pretty good? And then how do I put the episode together? First of all, I have a pretty basic podcast microphone. It's called the Samson Q2U. It was about 60 bucks. And I use that to record. I also have a second one, which I loan to guests. So for each interview, what I will do is coordinate with a guest unless they have their own, you know, podcast mic or audio equipment i'll coordinate with a guest and deliver a microphone to them before our interview and then we will record the platform that i use is called zencaster zencaster works pretty much just like a zoom meeting it works in the browser there's video that you can record i don't record the video but i do use the video so my guests and i can see each other and it's basically just like a zoom meeting 
But what Zencaster does is records a separate audio track on either side. So instead of recording the internet version that's been compressed and uploaded through the internet, all that, it records basically straight from the microphone on both sides. And then at the end of the interview, uploads those tracks together to my Dropbox. And Zencaster is free right now, too, during the pandemic. I don't know if they're going to start charging again for their basic plan, but free right now, super useful. And then what I do is import those audio tracks to Audacity, which is an audio editing program, and just clean it up. I try to make myself and my guests sound as good as possible. The audio quality, hopefully, is pretty good. I think it's better than most. But I don't do a whole lot of editing with the compression and levels and all of those weird things. I I am too lazy to learn how, and I feel like it sounds okay without. If anyone wants to tell me a really easy way to make the podcast sound better, that'd be great. But if it requires a lot of learning about how to use different weird wave stuff, I'm out. <laughs> too techy for me. And then the last thing I do, of course, is record a little intro and outro and slap the music on it. And then I upload to, oh, the last part is I upload to Podbean. Podbean is my platform for uploading and hosting my episodes. And then from there, they get pulled to all of the podcast platforms. So that's how it all works. That's the behind the scenes on how to make a podcast. I have a question from Caleb. Caleb asks, after traveling the country, what's the main thing you were excited to come home for? And this is a good question because it gets me the opportunity to talk about traveling the country. I haven't really talked that much about this on the podcast, but so 2017, I moved back to Reno and was spending all of this time at Lake Tahoe. I was hosting these couch surfers who were traveling around the country and living vicariously through them, hearing about all these stories about visiting national parks and seeing the country and all of these cool places. Some of them were hitchhiking, backpacking, traveling in all different kinds of ways. And this was also kind of the height of the van life craze. So all of Instagram was hashtag van life, you know, like hot influencers living out of these souped up sprinters that cost a hundred thousand dollars, like wildly expensive, completely out of reach for me. But I wanted to do the travel stuff. I wanted to see more of the country. And even though I had moved back to Reno to kind of put down some roots and reconnect with my hometown, I hadn't seen that much of the United States yet. There was so much of the country that I hadn't seen. And I just hated the idea of getting a full-time serious job in Reno that was going to tie me down here and not let me do any kind of big trip or big travel or some kind of adventure. And I really wanted that. So I started planning, okay, before I get a real job and settle down, I want to travel around the country a little bit. And this was in the fall. I had worked that first summer as a tour guide for Reno food tours, which was such a fun job getting to like walk around downtown Reno and tell people about cool places to go. And it was a food tour. So we went to all these local restaurants and did taste things super rad. But it was the end of the season, and it was about to be winter, and I don't like the winter that much. I much prefer the summer. I don't like driving in the snow. Um, I'm just a baby about the cold. So I was like, cool, I'll get out of here for the winter. I'll plan some kind of trip for a month or two. And started looking at 
what national parks I could go to. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to move to travel for a couple months, maybe I should sublet my apartment or something. It was going to be that long. And then I thought, okay, well, who's going to sublet for just like a couple months? Maybe I need to make it three months or, and I was like, well, if I'm three months, I'll be, you know, halfway across the country. It's might as well just extend the thing. And anyways, it turned into this idea of just taking the entire year of 2018 and just travel around the country. But I didn't have the money for a van or anything. So I did it in my Prius. <laughs> I I put a bed in the back of the Prius and traveled around the country. So I visited 30 national parks, met so many incredible people. I used couch surfing as a surfer instead of as a host. So I had hosted all these people the summer before and had all this positive feedback on the site. So then when I was traveling around, it was great to have so many amazing couch surfing hosts. Anyway, amazing trip. I got to see so much of the country. The thing that I was excited for to get back to though is two things. It's my family. I really, really missed my family. And I think I didn't realize how much I would miss them until I was actually on the road and they were far away and further and further away. The more that I drove Uh, a year was a really long time. I actually flew home halfway through the year in June or July to come back home just to visit the family. I left my car in a parking lot in Florida and flew back. So I did miss them. So it was great to be back to family. The other thing that I really missed is my apartment and my neighborhood and the local businesses and the parks around here. It really feels so much like home in my neighborhood. And I had, you know, spent that entire year in 2017 so connected to downtown and the restaurants and my apartment and all of that, that it really felt good to get to that, get back home and um, feel like I was back in Reno again. I got a whole list of questions from my friend Daniel. I really appreciate how much time he put into all of these great topics, but some of them are so much that we could do a whole episode on. So I will pick a couple of my favorites. And some of these are more issue-oriented, which makes me a little... um, less comfortable. I don't know. I guess we'll see how it goes. So Daniel asks, how do you feel Reno has changed over the years in terms of queer spaces and acceptance? I don't know if I can do this one. I was gone for so much of Reno's growth and change over the last 15 years. There's got to be someone who knows way more about this stuff than I do. I don't even feel qualified to weigh in. Daniel asks, can you weigh in on the kink at pride debate? And he says, just kidding, unless you want the podcast to be spicy, but we can get a little spicy. So for people who do not know, there is a little bit of a debate this year around pride. I have not followed any of this closely. I know that people have made controversial statements and I don't, I haven't followed any of it. So I hope I'm not about to say the wrong thing, but I'll do my best. So the debate is whether pride parades should include displays of kink and like overt sexuality stuff, leather daddies, that kind of thing. And on the one side, there are people who say pride should be family friendly and we want everyone to feel comfortable and safe and welcome and that these displays are inappropriate for children 
that's the one argument. The other side, the correct side in my opinion, says that pride is a rebellion against the norms and status quo and forcing people into a box. I think the inclusion of kink at pride is important because pride is about sex, like homophobia and transphobia and all of the things that (laughs) pride is meant to fight back against. It's rooted in trying to control who people have sex with. We talk about marriage equality and those things are all very important. But at the end of the day, people that don't like gay people, it's not because they are worried about gay relationships. It's a sex thing. There's a lot of controlling how we view sex. All of the slut shaming and the the way that we view sex in this society, and always have, I think, is really controlling and really gross. And that's what it's really rooted in, is social control of what is accepted or not accepted sexually. And that's something we need to fight against. Sex is fine. Sex is good. There is no reason for us as a society to be so involved in policing people's sex, who they have sex with, how they have sex. Those things are related. And even though Pride has morphed into a very rainbowy, family-friendly event, it is intended to push back against the control and domination of a marginalized group. Pride started as a riot. We all know this. And I think for us to shift from policing who people are allowed to have sex with to all of a sudden taking on this tone of, oh, well, now we want to police how people have sex. And some things are too scandalous. I think we need to stand up for people that want to be open about sex and encourage sex positivity. I think we need to stand up for them. As for whether it makes it an uncomfortable environment for families and kids, that's the real debate, I guess. And this one is a challenging thing for me to weigh in on because I don't have kids and I don't know what I would think if I did have kids. But I think part of the problem that we have is parents think that kids can't handle things when they can. It is your responsibility to be able to explain anything to your kid in a way that is true, that is age appropriate, that is, I don't know. You should be able to do that. That's part of being a parent. Saying, oh, I don't know how to tell my kid about that thing. I don't buy that. That's part of your job. You got to be able to figure out how to tell your kids about anything. You don't need to necessarily tell your kid in detail how they all work, but you can't hide everything from your kids and they're going to grow up and they're going to have adult relationships. And I think hiding everything from them doesn't really serve to give them a healthy view of sex as they grow up. I don't know. I'm not a parent. There's a lot to do there. I haven't seen what sex ed looks like, but from what I remember and what I read, um, I don't know that we're really serving our kids that well. So hopefully I didn't 
piss anyone off too much with that answer again i'm not a parent i don't really know if it's appropriate for me to tell parents how to deal with their kids i don't feel like pride should be a place for policing people's sexuality that's what anti-pride people do i got a handful of questions about things to do in reno a lot of recommendations best restaurants best place to go those kind of things which i'm not going to answer on this episode because i don't feel like enough of an expert to be able to give good recommendations. It's one of these challenges that I think I'm going to end up facing doing this podcast where because it's called Renoites and because I'm talking to people from Reno and I am from here myself, there might be this assumption that, that I know a lot or that I have a lot to offer in terms of telling people about the, the best stuff in Reno. But I consider myself kind of new to Reno having not lived here for the majority of my adult life. So hopefully as I do the show episode after episode and have a lot of people on, they can give some really good suggestions, but it's hard for me to feel like enough of an expert to be a go-to person about what to do in Reno or where to go in Reno. Of course I have my favorite places. Everybody does, but I would say there's probably better people than me to check with about the best restaurant or the best outdoor activities. Hopefully I'll have episodes that specifically address those things and we'll get some really good suggestions from people who really know. One question on this topic though that I will answer was from Yarn Girl. She asked me about my favorite local artists. I'm not really a major consumer of art. I love how much public art there is in Reno though. So I don't go to a lot of, you know, galleries and those kind of things, but I really love the murals and the sculptures and the public art in Reno. So artists that I know of who have done some really great work, Hannah Eddy is fantastic. This mural on Holcomb that just got finished a month or two ago, I think is super cool. I really love her style and the muralists in general. So Eric Burke has done a ton of great work around town. We're super lucky to have him, Josie Rock. So I'm glad to see a lot of the muralists getting work. I don't know who made most of these Burning Man sculptures, but I'm very appreciative of the kind of collaboration between the Burning Man community and Reno's public artworks. And I will talk about the Space Whale a little bit. I think the Space Whale is super cool. There's been some controversy lately about getting rid of it. I've heard people refer to it as blight, like it's falling apart. That is not the case. It's got some broken panels on it. It's in a little bit of disrepair, but it's still cool. It's still impressive and neat and fun to have down in the plaza. It's unfortunate that there's some shenanigans around paying to move it or who owns it. And those things are unfortunate, but it's a cool piece of art. I love pieces of large-scale sculpture. I'm glad that we have it. So yeah, all the Burning Man art is super cool. I'm glad that we have it all. I would love to do more arts episodes. We did one with Oliver X from Art Town and talked about Art Town, but I would love to do another episode about arts more generally in Reno. So keep an eye out for that. I'm not sure who the best guest would be for that, but I'm really glad that Reno has a growing artistic community and is kind of rebranding itself as a city that has a lot of art and is a good place for artists. I think that's important. It's something that will make our city more lively and interesting and welcoming to people from other parts of the country. 
So looking forward to more art in Reno and learning about who's making it. This next question is from Jason, who I am so grateful for because he made me feel like a celebrity. <laughs> for the first time, someone recognized me out in public. I was wearing my Reno Whites hat, and I was at the food trucks on Wednesday at Feed the Camel near the McKinley Art Center. And someone came up to me and said, hey, are you the guy who does that podcast? Because I was wearing my Renoites hat. And I talked to Jason for a couple minutes. He just moved to town during the pandemic and said that he had listened to the podcast, the episode about biking with uh, Kai from the Truckee Meadows Bike Alliance. So it was really cool to meet someone who I have no idea how he found the podcast. And it was amazing. The question that he asked is... What is the best way to create new connections and friends in a post-COVID world? I love this question because I think it's really important that we are getting back out and building social connections. Everyone has been cooped up for a year. I think everyone has struggled socially. And for someone especially new in town like Jason, trying to make connections and make friends is going to be a really important thing. And for me too, like I said, I moved back just a few years ago and then I was gone for a year and then I had a year of pandemic. So I kind of feel like right now is the time for me to be making those new connections and finding friends as well. The thing that I recommend to anyone is join some kind of club or organization where you can meet regularly with people who may or may not have that much in common with you, who you have some shared interest with, but they're from different parts of our city. People who are different ages from you or have different careers than you. A couple of the things that I am involved in, which have been super enjoyable for me, is Toastmasters. I talked on my episode with Vicky, my boss from DJ Trivia, about Toastmasters. I've been going to the same Toastmasters club for the last two years. In case you don't know, Toastmasters is a kind of public speaking group, uh, other things as well, but mostly like public speaking and, and leadership. And we get to practice public speaking in a kind of safe, comfortable setting. And it's been great to get to know people who I never would have met otherwise, but I see them every week and I've gotten to know them over the last couple of years. And it's really created a stronger connection with my community in a couple of weeks, we're having a barbecue. So all my Toastmasters friends who I haven't seen for a year, we've just seen online, are going to come over to my mom's house for a barbecue. That stuff is awesome. Also, book clubs. I joined a book club recently, which has been really cool. And this kind of ties in with the question about the gay community, too. I haven't felt that connected to the gay community, whatever that means, in Reno. I think my conception of the gay community in previous cities that I lived in was all about going out. It was about bars. It was about drag shows. It was about drinking. It was definitely a different vibe than I'm looking for now. I'm a little older. I'm less into being in a loud, crowded bar. Dancing is fun sometimes, and I'm not trying to do it every weekend. But joining this book club with a group of gay men has been really cool because I feel connected to more gay people in my community outside the setting of bars. So join a book club. It's also a great excuse to force you to read a little bit more, to discuss the books you're reading. One of the challenges with reading is that sometimes no one else is reading the same book as you and you want to talk about it. You want to chat about it. So having an opportunity to 
read more and then meet with like-minded people and talk about what you're reading is awesome. Join a book club. One of the best things you can do. And also go to these community events like Food Truck Friday or Feed the Camel or these markets. There's a ton of pop-up markets now. Wandering Wild is back. So they're doing like a monthly market at locations around the town. Yeah, just get out there. That's basically it. There's a lot of events. There's a lot of groups. I think those are the best ways to actively engage with the community and get to know people. And last but not least, I think just meeting people for coffee. Now that we are out of the worst of the pandemic and places are open again, one of my favorite things to do, best way to spend an hour, is just meet someone and get a coffee or a drink and chat for an hour or two. It feels like somewhere between a business meeting and a date, depending on who I'm talking to, but that's my favorite way of getting to know someone is just put it on a calendar and go meet people for coffee. There's tons of local businesses that love our support. So if anyone wants to hang out and get a coffee and shoot the shit, that's a really great way to connect with people and practice getting back to meeting in person. So just do it. Start hanging out more. And I think that's where we're going to call it today. Normally my episodes are about an hour long, but on those episodes I have the benefit of a guest to talk back and forth with. I am sure that many people enjoy listening to a back and forth conversation for an hour, but probably don't want to listen to me just talk for an hour. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope that you got to know a little bit more about me and the podcast and what I'm all about and what I'm trying to do and why I care about Reno so much why it's such a cool city. I hope that that came across. Back to having regular guests next week. If you have any suggestions on guests or any feedback about this episode or any other, as always, I'm on social media, even though I hate social media, Facebook and Instagram. You can find me at Renoites. Send me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at Renoites.com. And if you really like the show, the best thing you can do is let people know about it. So share episodes, leave reviews on iTunes, Whatever you can do to spread the word. I don't really advertise. I don't really like the marketing piece. So I'm always very grateful when you guys do that work for me. So thank you for that. That's all I got for you this week. I will see you all next time. (laughs) 